Are you hungry yet? <laughs> Can anybody name the soundtrack there, by the way? You know what it's from? Beef, it's what's for dinner. Exactly right. <laughs> Welcome to week two of Come to the Feast. I'm so excited to be sharing with you today. I think this is one of my all-time favorite sermon series titles. Uh, and the main reason is uh, because I love to eat. Uh, I told you a few weeks ago about my love for cereal that borders on addiction. Uh, but it's actually not just cereal. I love all kinds of food so much. Uh, I'm not really discriminating enough to be called a foodie. Uh, I think I'm more of an eaty. I, I don't know if that's a word, but I just made it up. I am an eaty. My, quote, friends at work like to give me a hard time about this. They regularly mock me for my food choices, for my portion sizes, and especially for the, the large dish that I bring my salad in to work. Here's a picture of Arthur uh, imitating me at a recent... <laughs> staff meeting. So much love on our staff. The support is overwhelming sometimes. I love to eat. And so when, when we started talking about this series, Come to the Feast, and Larry mentioned it, I was all in. In fact, when he said, Come to the Feast, I quoted a famous movie line from the 90s. Larry, just stop. You had me at feast. <laughs> if you can recognize that. I don't love this series title just because I love to eat, though. I also love it because I think the image of a feast is a fantastic metaphor for life in God's kingdom, life with Christ, life lived in communion with Jesus. I think it's a great image for at least two reasons. First of all, just like a feast satisfies our physical hunger, God's presence is a feast that satisfies our spiritual hunger. Whether we recognize it or not, all of us are spiritually hungry and we're longing for something to satisfy that deep desire, that ache inside of us that tells us there's something more, that we need something more. And just like food is the only way to satisfy our, our physical hunger, God is the only one who can satisfy our spiritual hunger. He's like a feast for our souls. There's another reason I think this is such a beautiful metaphor, though, and uh, I, I think that just as a feast, a feast doesn't just satisfy our hunger, right? It also brings us joy. I mean, you can satisfy your physical hunger with rice cakes if you eat enough of them, right? But there's no joy in that. A feast is prepared intentionally with different flavors and different textures just to bring joy. And in the same way, uh, Christ doesn't just give us rice cakes, friends. <laughs> Christ gives us a life of joy. He gives us a feast. So that's the main idea of this series, that life in God's kingdom, life lived in communion with Christ, is like a feast that both fills our deepest hungers and brings us inexpressible joy. Each week we're looking at one of the many passages in Scripture that uses the image of food or a feast to describe life with Christ. And today's passage comes from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 14. I'll begin reading at verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. When one of those at the table heard, with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. 
A servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. May God bless the reading of his word. Jesus is a genius. I know that sounds like the ultimate understatement, but this is absolutely true. I don't mean to be obvious, but not only is Jesus a miracle worker, not only is he our savior, Jesus is a genius communicator. Don't miss that. The way he communicates is amazing, especially in parables where he takes these amazingly deep theological truths and, and, and crams them into this short, memorable, compelling uh, package. Think about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, for example, or the one we'll look at next week, the parable of the prodigal son. Well, this morning's passage, it's called the parable of the great banquet, I think is a beautiful example of this. Not only is it a memorable story, I, I bet you could probably tell back the story to me right now, even just hearing it once, or at least the big parts of it. But not only is this a memorable story, it's packed with important truths that have major implications for us. So I want to dig into this parable this morning. First, the context. Jesus tells his story at a dinner party. He's been invited to the house of a prominent Pharisee and the people around the table are visiting about different topics. You can read it uh, earlier in chapter 14. And one of the party guests pipes up and says this to Jesus. He says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. All right, so what's this feast he's talking about? Well, there was a, a commonly held belief among the Jews that when the Messiah came, he was going to celebrate the beginning of his reign with a giant party, a huge feast. And this guy says, man, isn't it going to be awesome when that party happens? Isn't it going to be amazing for everyone who gets to be there? And in response, Jesus tells this amazing parable. Starting at verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now, remember the guy Jesus was responding to was talking about this big party that would happen when the Messiah came. So when Jesus starts talking about a man who was preparing a great banquet, everyone listening would immediately have known he was talking about this very same banquet, this messianic banquet. And when Jesus said that the man invited many guests, they would have known immediately, always oh, talking about the Old Testament prophets. All through the years, they were telling about how the Messiah was going to come. So, uh, and by the way, those Old Testament prophets often used the metaphor of a feast or food to describe this banquet, just like Isaiah did in last week's passage. So far, so good, right? I'm sure everyone around the table was nodding along, but then Jesus just flips the script. Check out what he says next. Verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, this is different. Did he notice? The guy Jesus was answering was speaking in the future tense. He said, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. In other words, the feast is coming, but it's in the future. It's down the road. It hasn't happened yet. But Jesus doesn't use the future tense. Jesus uses the present tense. He says, come for everything is now ready. It's time. And that's the first key point about the feast that Jesus makes in this parable. The food is on the table. The food is on the table. Dinner is ready. 
The Jews had been waiting for years for the Messiah to come, and the guys around the table were still thinking of the Messiah in the future tense. They were, they were still thinking about it to come, but Jesus says it's not future tense anymore. The future has become the present. It's present tense. The Messiah is here now. This is one of the key ideas in all of Jesus' teaching. It reminds me of the very first sermon Jesus preached in the Gospel of Mark. Check it out. Mark 1.15 says, the time has come. You see it? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is saying that kingdom that you've been waiting for, that new way of living that the Messiah will usher in, it's here. The time has come. The time is now. The kingdom of God has come near because I'm here. The feast isn't in some distant future. The food's on the table now. Dinner is ready. So how does that apply to us today? Well, certainly it's important for us to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and that he has come. But I think there's something else. I think that just like the dinner guests at that party, we can also have a tendency to think that the kingdom of God is mainly in the future. We can find ourselves saying, Isn't that going to be great someday, way down the road when we're all in heaven? When I was growing up, if someone had asked me to explain the good news of the gospel, I probably would have said something like this. I probably would have said, all of us are sinners. Our sin has separated us from God. But Jesus came to earth, died on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that if we pray and ask him to be our Lord and Savior, our sins will be forgiven and we'll go to heaven when we die. Now let me be clear, I 100% believe all of that, everything I just said. And I am so grateful, praise the Lord, that Jesus paid the price for my sins on the cross. I am so thankful that my eternal future is secure. And like the old hymn says, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Praise the Lord, yes. I believe all of that, but also at the same time, I just got to tell you that the picture that Scripture paints of the gospel is so much more. It's about so much more than just going to heaven when we die. That the gospel is good news not just for the future. The gospel is good news for the present. It's good news right now. Jesus said the banquet's ready. The food's on the table. It's time to eat. We don't have to wait until after we die to experience the goodness and the beauty and the power of God's kingdom. It's available right now. When I was growing up, uh, kids used to eat this candy. You recognize this candy? What's it called? Now and later. Somebody just said, oh, that's so good. (laughs) Well, when I was a kid, for some reason, I don't know why, but I, I had the name wrong. I thought they were now or laters. And I thought this for, for many years, and I guess it, I was more interested in eating the candy than reading the label. And, and the and is really small anyway, but uh, eventually I found out that it was now and later. And I thought, that makes so much more sense. What a genius motto. Eat candy now and eat candy later. I love it, right? It's fantastic. Well, I think we can make that same mistake with and and or in our spiritual lives. Sometimes... I think we think that we can have joy now or we can have joy later. We can either live for ourselves now and have joy that way or we can live lives of misery, not doing all the fun stuff our friends are doing and have joy after we die. It's now or later. But friends, life with Jesus isn't or. 
It's and. It's and. Praise God. The, the, the joy of the feast is now and later. Yes, it's going to be amazing when Jesus takes us home and we see him face to face. Yes, it's going to be amazing when he wipes away every tear from our eyes. Praise the Lord. And there's no more cancer, no more depression, no more COVID, no more poverty, no more brokenness or sin or death. Yes, that's going to be amazing. But friends, we don't have to wait. We don't have to wait until we're in heaven to experience the joy of the kingdom because the food is on the table. Christ is calling you and me to the feast of his presence right now, right now. Now, of course, there's a sense in which we are still waiting for Jesus to complete the coming of his kingdom. For now, there's still sin and pain and brokenness all around us and within us. That is true. But even though there's a sense in which we're still waiting, there's another sense in which life in the kingdom is available Right now, right now, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right now, we can be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Right now, we can cast all our cares on him, for he cares for us. Right now, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, can guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Right now, we can trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, we can acknowledge him and he will make our paths straight. Right now, we can be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Right now, we can count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Right now, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence and find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Right now, we can wait on the Lord and renew our strength. We can mount up on wings like eagles. We can run and not grow weary. We can walk and not be faint. Right now, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we can throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And we can run with perseverance the race that God has marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Right now, we can be fully persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right now, friends. Right now. We don't have to wait. The food is on the table. Come to the feast. Come to the feast. Well, we might be tempted to stop right there, but the story continues. Unfortunately, there's danger ahead. This next part of the story reminds me of when my kids were younger. I wonder if any of you have had this experience. Say it's a Tuesday, about 6.30 in the evening. You've had a long day of work and you've raced home and uh, put something together for dinner and finally the food's on the table and so you call out, dinner's ready, no response. Have you had this happen? You wait 20 or 30 seconds and you call out again. Maybe not quite as friendly this time. I said, dinner's ready. 20 more seconds, silence. Hey, people, let's go. The food's getting cold. And then uh, Mina's pointing at David, by the way. I think this is funny. <laughs> uh, and, and then I don't know if this happens at your house, but at our house, sometimes they still wouldn't come. And we'd have to go through the house, track down the kids and find out what texting conversation they were in or what YouTube video they were watching that was so important that they couldn't, you know, eat, right? 
Have you been there? Well, I think that's pretty much what happens next in this story. When the servant goes out to tell everyone the feast was ready, no one came. Look what happens, verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yokes of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The feast was on the table, but everyone who was invited started to make excuses about why they couldn't come. They were distracted by other things. The first guy was distracted by his possessions. Did you see that? He just bought a field and now he'd rather look at the field than go to the feast. The second guy was distracted by his work. This guy was a farmer. He had just bought some new oxen and he was more interested in getting some plowing done than attending the banquet. The third guy was distracted by his relationships. He'd just gotten married and he was more interested in being with his new wife than joining in on the feast. Possessions, work, relationships. Where does all this distraction lead? Well, look at what the man throwing the party says in verse 24. He says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. It's tragic. Because these three guys were distracted by other things, they missed out on the feast. Now, you know, it's interesting. The first few times I read that last verse, verse 24, uh, I kind of, I heard it like the host was being vindictive. I heard it like he was saying, you know, well, if they can't be bothered to show up, then I don't want them at the feast anyway. But the more I read it, the more I hear sadness in his voice. I think the frustration was directed at the distractions. I think he felt love for these people he'd invited. He loved them. He knew the feast was going to be amazing. And now he sees that these distractions are going to keep them from experiencing the joy of the feast. It's tragic. That's the second big lesson from this parable. Distraction leads to tragedy. Distraction leads to tragedy. These three guys were distracted, and tragically, they missed out on the feast. Now, I think it's really important to notice these distractions were good things. Did you catch that? They weren't bad things. They were distracted by good things. They were blessings from God. They weren't distracted by by bad things. They weren't distracted by stealing or murdering or leaving the Big 12 for the SEC or anything like that. Just making sure you're still awake. (laughs) No, they weren't distracted by bad things. They were distracted by good things. One was distracted by a field. Who created the field? God created the field and gave it to him. It was a blessing. One guy was distracted by his job. Whose idea was work? It was the Lord's idea. The Lord created us to work. One guy was distracted by his wife. Whose idea was marriage? God created marriage. Marriage is a good and beautiful thing. The problem wasn't that these were bad things. The problem was that they let these good things keep them from the best thing. Hear that? They let these good things keep them from the best thing. They let the gifts of God keep them from the presence of God. I love this quote by John Piper. He says, the greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. Think about that. Not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Friends, please don't let God's gifts keep you from his presence. Don't let yourself be so distracted by the blessings in your life that you miss out on the source of those blessings. Don't let your work 
or your relationships or your possessions or your hobbies or your travel schedule or your kids or anything else rob you of the opportunity to experience the ultimate goodness of a life lived in communion with Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, seek ye first, 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 seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things, everything else will be given to you as well. Seek ye first the kingdom. When the host of the banquet hears that those he invited aren't coming, he does something interesting. Check out what he tells his servant in verse 21. He says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. I love this part. I love this so much. When the people that the man originally invited refused to come, he says, you know what? Let's expand the guest list. Let's invite the people that you at least expect, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Jesus was saying that while the Jewish leaders may have been rejecting him, God was opening up the invitation to a far broader audience. He was opening the invitation not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well, to anyone who would come. And for us, the message is clear, friends. There's room at the feast. There is room at the feast. The invitation is open to everyone. There's plenty of food. There are plenty of open chairs. You don't have to have any money. You don't have to have any special skills. You don't have to be from the right social group. You don't have to be from the right country. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. The only thing that matters is do you respond? Do you come? Because all are welcome. There's room at the feast. You know, this isn't the way that it works in most of life, right? In our culture, you get what you pay for. You get exactly what you earn. But the gospel flips that on its head. The gospel tells us the only way to sit at that greatest banquet isn't to buy a ticket. The only way to sit at that table is to receive it as a gift. And praise God, there's room at the feast. There's room at the table. When I was growing up, every time our pastor baptized anyone, he always closed the, part, the baptism part of the service by quoting this passage. He would say, Lord Jesus, we have done as you have commanded, and yet there is room. Isn't that beautiful? A beautiful picture after we just baptized Marriott. We've done as you've commanded, Jesus, but there's still room. There's still room. There's room for you. There's room for your spouse. There's room for your kids. There's room for your neighbors. There's room for your coworkers. There's room for people who are from a different culture than you. There's room for people who think differently from you. There's room uh, for people who vote differently from you. <clears throat> There's room for anyone who will come, anyone who will come to the feast. You know, reading this, uh, this parable, it ought to motivate us, right? It ought to motivate us to do what the, the, the host told his servant to do in verse 23, to go out into the country lanes and the roads and compel them to come in so that his house will be full. It ought to motivate us to invite others to this glorious feast. But I think it ought to scare us too. I think it ought to scare us. You know what scares me to death about this parable? The only people who missed out on the feast were the ones with possessions, jobs, and relationships. The only ones who came to the feast were the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I think that ought to scare us because in general, which group do we look more like? 
in general, we look a whole lot more like the first group than the second, don't we? We do have possessions. Most of us do have jobs. We have relationships. And with them, we have the danger of being distracted from the most amazing feast of all time. A friend of mine, John Lanou, his, uh, his father was on a mission trip to Iran a few years ago doing amazing and beautiful ministry in a desperately dangerous place. And when the local believers heard that he was from the U.S., they said something amazing. They said, wow, it must be so hard to be a Christian in America. We pray for you. I heard that story and I thought, what are they talking about? They live in Iran, one of the most oppressive regimes in the world. But they knew. They knew the power of distraction. They knew that when you have material blessings, it's so easy to lose sight of their source. Friends, we live in a dangerous place. It's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy. But there's good news, even for distracted people like me, distracted people like you. And that's this. The invitation is still open. Jesus is still calling. Praise God. The food is on the table. Friends, let's come to the feast. Let's come to the feast. I'll close with this. Uh, many years ago, uh, some friends gave Joanna and me an extravagant gift. It was a gift card to an amazing restaurant down in Dallas called The Mansion on Turtle Creek. Now, I don't know if you've heard of this place, but it's the kind of restaurant that we had no business being in, seriously. And the gift card was for a huge amount. I mean, seriously, like eight to ten times what we were used to spending on dinner at Boston Market or, you know, chilies if we were splurging. We dressed up and drove downtown, and it was amazing. Now, at first, I got to say, we felt a little out of place. We felt a little bit like we were playing dress up. There's all these sophisticated people around us. But we got over that pretty quickly as soon as the food started to come because it was amazing. It was epic. I'm serious. So many courses, so much delicious food. Our favorite course, are you ready for this? Chicken fried lobster. Chicken fried lobster, light, crispy, breaded outside, buttery, succulent inside. Mm. However good you're imagining it, I promise you it was better. It was amazing. Gosh, we ate and ate and ate and ate and Finally, the check came and I gave the waiter the gift card and I just leaned back in my chair so happy. Until a few minutes later when the waiter came back and said, I'm so sorry to tell you this gift card has expired. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> uh, could you repeat that? Because I'm sorry, it sounded kind of like you said it was expired. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's expired. We can't accept this. I gave him my best sob story about being a poor pastor who had received it as a gift, but man, this guy was immovable. So I swallowed hard, pulled out my phone, called the credit card company, asked for a line of credit increase, <laughs> put down the credit card and paid for the meal. I gotta tell you, man, the, the ride home, not nearly as much fun as the ride to the restaurant. <laughs> it's okay though, don't feel bad. We finished paying it off a few months ago, it's fine. <laughs> now, that was obviously super disappointing, right? But it's not completely surprising, is it? There's no free lunch. You don't get a feast like that 
for free, do you, in life? Joanna and I, plus, we don't even belong in a place like that, right? We shouldn't have been there. We had no business being there. But listen, in the kingdom of God, that is exactly what happens. People who don't deserve it and could never afford it sit down at an unbelievable feast. And the waiter doesn't come over and say, I'm sorry, the gift card has expired. No, the owner comes over and says, this bill is paid in full. Welcome to the feast. Welcome to the feast. Friends, the food's on the table. There's plenty of room. Let's dig in.